So this is case number 23 from the, uh, this is probably the most well-known collection of uh, Zen koans called the, the Gateless Barrier or the Moomin Kan. This is a particular translation by Robert Aitken, who was one of the first Western Zen teachers who was based in Hawaii and who founded the Diamond Sangha. Um, so the case is uh, uh, called uh, Hunan, Neither Good Nor Evil. Um, so Hunan was the uh, uh, the sixth founding teacher in the in China, often referred to as the uh, the sixth patriarch, the last of the patriarchs. No, he wasn't actually. There was a few that came after him as well. Um, eventually, we found our way to having some uh, female teachers. What's the female equivalent of patriarch? Matriarch, isn't it? Matriarchs. So um, this is the uh, uh, each koan has what's called a little which is usually a little story about an encounter between a, a Zen master and a, and, a, and a monk student. So this is the case. The sixth ancestor was pursued by Ming, the head monk, as far as Tao Tu Peak, Tao Yu Peak. Um, apparently Ming, the head monk at this time, this is around, had been um, uh, a general in his previous life. The teacher, seeing Ming coming, laid the robe and bowl on a rock and said, this robe represents the Dharma. There should be no fighting over it. You may take it back with you. Ming tried to lift it up, but it was as immovable as a mountain. Shivering and trembling, he said, I came for the Dharma, not for the robe. I beg you, lay brother, Please open the way for me. The teacher said, Don't think good, don't think evil. At this very moment, what is the original face of Ming, the head monk? In that instant, Ming had great satori. Sweat ran from his entire body. In tears, he made his bows, saying, Besides these secret words and the secret meanings, is there anything of further significance? the teacher said, what I have just conveyed to you is not secret. If you reflect on your own face, whatever is secret will be right there with you. Ming said, though I practiced at Hyonangye with the assembly, I could not truly realize my original face. Now, thanks to your pointed instruction, I am like someone who drinks water and knows personally whether it is cold or warm. Lay, brother, you are now my teacher. The teacher said, If you can say that, then let us both call Hyomang Mei our teacher. Maintain your realization carefully. And um, each uh, uh, koan has a little comment by the person who collected the, the koans called Women. His comment uh, is um, It must be said that the sixth ancestor forgets himself completely in taking action here. He is like a kindly grandmother who peels a fresh lychee, removes the seed, and puts it into your mouth. Then you only need to swallow it down. And uh, women also always writes a verse uh, to conclude. And the 
verses, it can't be described, it can't be pictured, it can't be praised enough. Stop groping for it. The original face has nowhere to hide. When the world is destroyed, it is not destroyed. So, a very famous uh, story. Just a little bit of background. Um, these, these stories, of course, uh, uh, that were um, collected and, and became part of the Zen tradition are a little bit like uh, this particular one in particular is a bit, you know, a bit like um, what would be the Western equivalent, something like the, the uh, Arthurian sort of stories in a way. Um, so they're um, partly based on, on some historical reality, but also um, um, kind, of, kind of mythological or legendary or, you know, or, or written in, in a way to support the, the, uh, the lineage uh, and the, uh, I guess, the power structures of, of the Zen Buddhist tradition in that time. But um, so, um, so take it a little bit like a, you know, it's not a literal kind of story, but it's a more like, you know, um, a King Arthur kind of story. And uh, in, in, the, uh, in the Zen lineage, the sixth ancestor is, is very, a very important figure, kind of like King Arthur. And uh, in the, uh, it has another, another, another sort of similarity with the Arthurian mythology, um, or the, uh, the mythology around the Grail, um, was that uh, you know, the, the hero in this instance, in this instance, uh, uh, the background to that story is that um, the six ancestors uh, lost his, his his father was a government administrator and uh, his father died when he was very young and uh, so he lived with his mother in a little town in uh, in uh, southern china i think either northern or southern china and um uh, and when he was a, and uh, they were very poor and so he would uh, help his mum out by chopping firewood and selling firewood and uh, then as the story goes, one day he was um, uh, selling firewood and there was a, uh, a Zen monk was uh, uh, walking through the town and reciting the, the Diamond Sutra. And uh, I can't remember the exact part of the Diamond Sutra, which, but he heard, heard the sutra being recited and uh, he had an immediate kind of realisation or understanding and uh, the desire then to become a monk. And so he uh, discussed it with his mother and the neighbors said they'd help out. And so he went on this long journey um, to, so Northern China, uh, to this teacher, because he asked the monk, who's your teacher? And the teacher was the, the fifth ancestor, uh, Hongren. And uh, when he arrived, uh, uh, he was. Uh, he gained admission and actually had an interview with Hongren, who was the the, the abbot of this particular temple. And um, and uh, and you know the the Hongren said to him, you know, you know, where have you come from? And he said, I've come from you know, uh, in southern China. And, he, and the teacher said, Oh, they're all barbarians from southern China. What do you know about the Buddha Dharma? 
And uh, the young man replied something along the, along the lines of, it doesn't matter whether you're from southern China or northern China, we're all kind of you know, equal or one in the Dharma, in Buddha Dharma. And, uh, so the, uh, the abbot saw this young fellow had some potential, so he sent him to work in the, in the, in the, where they would husk the rice. Uh, and, uh, so it just became a, you know, doing laboring with the husking of the rice. And, uh, and uh, a, f- a few months went by, and the uh, Hongren the, uh, decided that it was time for him to retire. And, uh, and uh, wanted to choose a successor. And um, the, there was a, another monk, uh, I forget his name, but he was the senior, uh, another senior monk, who was seen as, as being the most um, promising uh, successor to Hongren. And uh, so Hongren decided to um, uh, ask, invite people, invite the monks to write a poem expressing the, their understanding. And um, so the, uh, the monk who was really promising, the senior kind of monk, um, uh, he, was, um, he, he went out one night and, he, and he, he wrote the poem on the wall. And, um, and the, the poem that he wrote was this. <clears throat> The body is the Buddha Bodai tree, so Bodai awakening, the Bodai tree where the Buddha sat and awoke. The body is the Bodai tree, the mind is like a clear mirror. Moment by moment, wipe the mirror carefully, let there be no dust upon it. Now, the, um, the, uh, this, this, the, the young man who was going to become the sixth ancestor, um, also, part of the story was the fact that he was um, illiterate, so he had no education at all. This is another part of the Zen mythology, the sense in which you know, uh, Zen is something uh, transmitted outside the scriptures, and you don't need to be uh, a scholastic to understand it or grasp it or, or realize it. And uh, so he couldn't read the actual poem, so he, he asked one of the other monks to read the poem for him. And, uh, and so then he, he, asked, he, he had his own poem and he recited his poem and asked the other monk to write his poem. And so the young man's poem was this. Um, Bodhi really has no tree. The mirror too has no stand. From the beginning there's nothing at all. Where can any dust alight? And... Um, so the following day, the, the abbot, the fifth ancestor, um, recognized that the, the second poem was kind of like a little bit of a deeper understanding. And uh, so um, in the middle of the night, he called the young man to his um, room and uh, he gave him his, uh, his, his robe and his bowl. These were the mythological robe and bowls that had come down from Bodhidharma, the first, the Indian monk who came from India to China. This was the robe and bowl of Bodhidharma. And uh, so he gave them to the sixth ancestor. He was the last person to have the robe and bowl. I think they were buried with him somewhere. And, um, and he said, look, um, 
the, uh, the monks are not going to be very happy about this. <laughs> and so you better make a getaway um, uh, and just sort of, you know, chill out and hide away in the mountains for a few years before you start to teach. <laughs> and uh, so apparently the, 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 the fifth ancestor, the abbot, um, took him down to the river and, uh, and you know, just literally rode him across to the other side, you know, that, that kind of sort of metaphor in Buddhism, take you to the other side. And, uh, and, uh, and so the, the young man then took off into the mountains where he was going to hide out for a while before he would start teaching. So that's the background to this story. And uh, in this story, we have um, the... Um, a very upset uh, senior monk called Ming, who's uh, chasing after him. Um, an another little bit of background to this in East Asian Buddhism um, is the fact that, um, and it's probably an important background, um, to appreciate that one of the teachings of East Asian Buddhism was, was known as original, original enlightenment. Um, original here meaning inherent or um, innate or intrinsic. Um, it was the view that all beings are already enlightened or awakened um, from the outset. And, uh, and it's very accessible in the present. Um, so like it was, a, it, was, it was a teaching that was counter to the kind of other teaching in Buddhism that it took, you know, uh, lifetimes upon lifetimes of you know, accumulating merit and getting reborn and, and eventually becoming enlightened. So it was very much counter-cultural counter to that kind of teaching and quite radical in that way. And uh, it also taught that not only human beings, but, but all beings, ants and crickets, mountains and rivers, even, even non-living beings like rivers and mountains, the whole of creation, or everything's in, inherently Buddha. And... Um, and even seen in the true light, even one's um, delusive thoughts are also Buddha. And, uh, and um, so liberation is reimagined not as the eradication of defilements, not as the sense in which we have to purify ourselves lifetime after lifetime, but that uh, but the insight or the faith even that we've been enlightened for the, from the very beginning is, is the way to practice. So, um, now this story is interesting because uh, you can see that, uh, in a way, um, Ming, the, the monk that's pursuing him, is, um, I, you know, he's, I guess he's representative of what we call an ordinary mind, you know, the self-centered self or the self-centered dream or the ego self, the self that wants to, is continuously seeking and grasping and continuously feels as a lack and, and gets quite caught up in identifications with the, um, with, you know, one's, um, you know, occupation, role, seniority, etc., etc. So, um, in the story, the, um, you know, Ming is, is very upset and very angry. Um, and, and, and you can, you can see from that, he's, that, that's just an expression of the way in which he's caught up in, in all those kinds of dualistic ways of thinking as well. And, um, and, um, 
he's even 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 attached importance to the to the robe and the bowl and um, and in the story uh, that's quoted at the beginning <coughs> of the uh, the koan, um, you can see right from the beginning um, the sixth ancestor um, um, already starts to respond to Ming's um, attachment to Ming's suffering by simply laying the rope and bowl on a rock and. So he's not, you know, he's the the, the six ancestors not not you know, not going to get into some struggle over the robe and the bowl, and um, and so he basically says this robe represents the Dharma. There should be no fighting over it. You may take it with you. He's you know he's, he's not trying to hang on to it. So there there in right there is a, is a teaching, and um, the uh, and I guess at that point the uh, Ming. The, the monk who's pursuing him comes to a stop, and uh, and, he, and although he's still caught in this wanting to grasp it, so he tries to lift it up, um, but he can't, he can't move it, um, and uh, and this is quite obviously uh, quite perplexing to him, and um, um, and uh, so he's already there starting to. I guess um, he's, he's, he's something about that in the story where he's then moved to kind of a little bit more not being so certain um, in his knowledge or understanding. And uh, so a little bit of um, maybe a little bit of um, not knowing as is, is, is Cretender or some curiosity. And uh, so then he says to the sixth ancestor, well, I, I came for the Dharma, not for the robe. You can see the difference between the two. Mm. And, and then he says, I beg you, please open the way for me. Um, so all of a sudden, he's, uh, in that moment, he's, his mind is more open. And I guess it's that point that, uh, where the, the mind enters that sense of um, openness, or not knowing, when we've let go of all our, you know, our, our ability to try and figure things out intellectually, that uh, the mind is poised for a, a deeper understanding to arise. And, uh, and so it's just at that point when uh, the, uh, the verse describes him as placing the lychee in his mouth. It's, it's that sense of that ability of the teacher to respond at that moment with just, just, just the right words. And so when he says, don't think good and don't think evil, it's a, that's a kind of summation of let go of all thoughts, let go of all discriminating mind, and let, let go of all of you know, all the dualities that we normally create. And, um, and letting go of all that thinking right now, at this very moment, um, what is the original? What is your original face? What is the original face of Ming, the head monk? And so, and uh, so Ming has to let go of all the, all of that accumulated knowledge, his role, his position, and right there and then, what is what is the, what what is you know that the teacher is teaching him? What is the Dharma? And uh, and uh, and Ming has a realization of that. And. Uh, but even, even then, even when he's had a realization of that, he's still a little bit of that sort of, you know, doubt comes back in almost immediately. 
and says, yeah, but is there, is there anything else? Is there any other secret words? And no. The teacher says, no, nothing is hidden. There's nothing secret about your original face. And, um, and, um, and so they, uh, and then at the end where he says, let us both go back to uh, call Huang Mei, that's the, that's the fifth ancestor, our teacher, and maintain your realization carefully. So in our practice, um, it's kind of like, um, you know, what the, um, the verse describes as not, can't be described, can't be pictured. Um, the original face has nowhere to hide. Uh, when the world is destroyed, it is not destroyed. Well, what, 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 is, what, what is this original face? Um, and, um, you know, sometimes the, um, this um, koan is really shortened into what was your original face before your parents were born. And again, you know, before your parents were born, it's just kind of like this idea of going beyond all those, all those kinds of identifications that we normally have. The, um, the Zen master Dogen has a, has a, um, has a poem where he's, which is called Original Face. And uh, Dogen's poem is this. Uh, in spring the cherry blossoms, in summer the cuckoo's song, in autumn the moon shining, in winter the frozen snow. How pure and clear are the seasons. And that's, that's just a lovely expression of the original nature. Um, but also, um, you know, the, the, when, we, when we look at the, the two poems, the first poem has merit as well. Um, and in, in a way, the, the two poems, um, um, the first poem, which talks about, you know, um, polishing the, the mirror, or, or, and uh, there are two aspects of practice which, which um, are important. So in a sense, um, you know, not all of us may be so fortunate as uh, the sixth ancestor to have this um, a spontaneous uh, awakening when we're very young. And uh, maybe for some of us, it is a little bit more gradual. And, um, and so the, um, that, first, that, that first kind of step in practice where we're polishing the mirror um, is, is often the phase in practice that we refer to in ordinary mind Zen as the me phase of practice. Um, it's, the, it's captured in, in, in Dogen's um, writing where he says, in, in order to study the way of enlightenment, um, study the self. So we study the self. So in studying the self, that first poem is a little bit about studying the self. You know, it's, it's, it's actually, you know, why do we practice? Why do we come to, you know, um, Buddhist meditation or other forms of, of, of practice? And, uh, and it's, it's usually because there's some kind of um, sense in which we, you know, we're suffering. There's some sense of um, psychological distress we experience. And, and so often there's a long phase in practice where we have to look in the mirror and just start to acquaint ourselves with ourselves and, um, and see how we um, I, I get caught in that <coughs> and the, uh, the various ways in which we create our own suffering, you know. Typically it summarizes how we either 
you know, cling on to our self-identifications. Um, we identify with lots of things, not only um, our, our, our roles and positions of authority, but we also very, very significantly identify with our, um, with our feelings, our, our emotions, you know. Um, sometimes we may, you know, when we, we, we may, uh, I was um, just recently um, speaking to um, um, a couple in my therapy practice last week and they'd been married about 20 years and um, one of the partners um, that had a, this thing happen on their wedding night which was very uncomfortable for them and uh, felt very, very angry that the other person hadn't uh, uh, acted differently. And, uh, and, and, and that the person had hung on to that resentment for 20 years. It's still right now affecting their relationship. And um, so it's a sense in which that um, identification with, you know, I was right, you know, the other person was wrong. And, uh, and, and then that resent, you know, anger which is maintained is resentment. So that sense in which that anger is maintained as a, as a solid block of resentment which uh, continues to arise every time particular circumstances arise. And, and so like a lot, a lot of our practice in the me phase of practice is about starting to you know, see that and deconstruct that and, and see where we're, where, where we're caught, where we're holding on to stuff. And because um, it's very difficult to um, come to this realization of our original face without doing that sort of preliminary work. And um, so, um, so there's, a, there's a lot of merit in that first poem. And, uh, but the second poem then is, is really that expression of when we actually um, have that experience of um, realizing that what we've been seeking all along is actually, you know, that which is seeking is, that, is what we are. Um, it's that sort of fundamental realization that um, the reality that we're seeking is what we are. Um, see, in, in Zen Buddhism, there's, it's not a person who gets enlightened. Uh, awakening is not a personal thing. It's 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 uh, well in in, in the in the in the teaching uh, that I'm familiar with anyway. It's 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 more of a fact that in this notion of original enlightenment, reality itself. Is awakening, you know. Reality itself is awakening to its 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 enlightenment, um, and, um, and and we are not we are that reality which is awakening, but that's the that's the penetrating you know below what you might call our personal self or our ego self, all the uh, all the various clothes that we were, you know, whether it's you know occupation or um, uh, role or. Um, uh, our personal history—it's it, letting go of all of that, and and, and, and you know, as um, Shohaku Okamiri, another Zen teacher, talks about, letting go of self-identification is, is a metaphor like taking off all your clothes to reveal the naked being, and uh, and that nakedness is reality itself, um, and um, that's that's the refuge that's talked about in Buddha Dharma Sangha. It's, the refuge is the reality of this moment. Um, I'm reminded of, um, of a, um, 
an advertisement that comes on 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 TV uh, recently um, by the uh, Surf Lifesavers, mm. and yeah. um, and um, there's a person who's drowning in the water, and uh, and the the voiceover says something like, you know, basically the the ocean doesn't discriminate, and uh, and of course there's a Surf Lifesaver who comes and. And we don't discriminate neither. <laughs> it's a nice ad, but like, but in a sense, it's kind of like you know, if I use that metaphor, um, reality uh, doesn't discriminate. Um, it, um, it's that that's that what's referred to as the um, equality in Zen practice. Um, and but the problem is, from our relative perspective, from our personal perspective. Um, we often, um, reality goes against our preferences. We, um, and as soon as we start to disagree with reality, as soon as we start to struggle with reality, then immediately we're in a no-win situation. We're immediately uh, in, a, in, a, in a duality where we're going to suffer because um, you know, reality doesn't discriminate and we can't um, separate ourselves, even though we want to, from the reality that we are. And of course, the simple, the simple solution, and it's so simple, but it's not easy to do, is to just accept that fundamental reality which we are. That's why in the Soto tradition, what we call shikantaza, or just sitting, is such a great practice for this realization, because in just sitting, we're not sitting for any gaining idea. We're not sitting for a reward. Um, we're not sitting necessarily, although often we start, and it's human nature, I mean, we will start sitting because we, we have some kind of, what Barry would say, curative fantasy, or <laughs> we have some gaining idea. There's something we want to get from our sitting practice. And it might take years and years before we actually wear out the idea that we're going to gain something. Um, a famous Soto master called Kodo Shuatsuwaki used to say that Zazen is good for nothing. And this was his, one of his fundamental teachings. And, it was, and, uh, and it's still a very good teaching because it's so countercultural to how we're raised in the West uh, to pursue a goal, to constantly strive to improve ourselves. And um, so just sitting is totally uh, not in that sort of uh, framework at all. And, and in that just sitting then, it's because um, um, when, when Dogen was very young, his, his own personal koan was, well, if, we're all funda if everything is fundamentally enlightened from the beginning, then why practice? And you know, it's a, it's a good, good question. And, um, and so, initially we do start to practice because we want to try and fix ourselves in some way. Uh, we want to try and, and, and feel better, and that's perfectly okay. Um, but after a while, um, we, that's the first, you know, the first point, polishing the mirror. But, um, but after a while we might just get some little glimpses that actually, um, You know, just like the, the dove in the background, everything is just perfect just the way it is. 
and um, I'm fundamentally okay. This is the realization that the Shakyamuni Buddha had when he looked up and saw the star and saw that the star was just perfect, twinkling away just as it was, as he was, as everything was. Because when awakening happens, we're just fundamentally awake. There's no person that's become awake. Um, and um, in our sitting practice, in our just sitting practice, every time we then, we then sit, the reason when we say, why are you practicing? Practicing just to actualize that, what we already are. And the, what has been shown to be quite um, profound over all these many hundreds of years is this just sitting either cross-legged on a cushion or on a chair. Just sitting is actualizing that fundamental awakening that we already are. And um, there's a much simplicity to that. Once we experience the profound simplicity of that, then we have a really strong foundation for self-acceptance on a psychological dimension. The, the just sitting practice provides a really strong foundation for letting go of our relentless sort of desire to you know, run ourselves down whatever way we want to run ourselves down. That relentless desire to see ourselves as not being good enough. That re relentless desire to find fault with ourselves and others. It just totally cuts through all of that. But it's not in that realm of evaluation. It's not in that realm of setting a goal. And it's not in that realm of striving to become somebody it's just about realizing that which we already are in each moment, because each moment is constantly changing. And then the story, the very key line there is, in this very moment, what is your original face? In this very moment, so your original face is always just this moment. <laughs>